as Kim said, surprised to be see so many of you here this morning, but very glad you're here with us. Uh, Gary and a lot of the staff are out of town this week, so uh, he asked me to speak for him, and it's already going really well. So <laughs> this is new to me. I'm, I'm, those of you that know me pretty well know that I'm not comfortable on stage. I don't like being up here. I don't like attention. I was that kid that hid behind his mom's legs when I was little. And uh, so I just have to trust God and just be dependent that he has something to say through me. And as I look out, I see a lot of people that are really good at doing this. And I'm wondering why you're not up here. But, <laughs> but um, I'm going to try to do this without notes because uh, I did write some things down. But when I read them back, I bored myself. So, um, <laughs> so. A few weeks ago, my wife and I decided that instead of uh, investing in our kids' college education, we would instead take the money and go down to Florida and spend a week at Disney World. And uh, so we, we had a lot of fun that week. And if any of you have done that, you've probably, especially with little kids, had these conversations. And uh, the first one I remember, it started with, okay, we have four kids, and our youngest said, okay, we're about to get on this ride, and you're going to see dinosaurs, but they're not real. It's okay, you're safe. We're just going to have fun. You're going to see dinosaurs. It's going to feel like we're flying, and the ground is way below you, and you're going to feel the air in your face and everything, but you're not going to fall. You're safe. It's not real. And so we spent the whole week recounting these stories of things that weren't real, setting expectations and emotional responses to, to villains and dragons and dinosaurs and princesses and pirates and presidents and all the things that are down there at Disney. And um, it occurred to me as we were going through that, why is it that every day 250,000 people travel down to Florida and they go from park to park and they're spending tons of money to experience things that aren't real. Waiting in line, melting down. <laughs> I got to the point toward the end of the trip where I, I had to turn to the family and say, you know, you guys probably didn't notice this, but dad wasn't at his best the whole time here. So I apologize. And I know you didn't probably notice, but I'm sorry. <laughs> so why do we do that? Why would we subject ourselves to all of that to experience things that are not real? So our minds, if left to themselves, are these binary systems, either or. And we understand the things around us by comparing them to something else. So if I was to say that something is short, then I understand it in relationship to something that is tall. And we go through our whole lives, if we don't learn more subtle, more nuanced ways of thinking, we can go through our entire lives just comparing things. And most people do that. We just compare things our whole lives, categorizing. And it gets worse, we make a judgment we pick sides. So from a young age, when I begin to comprehend the word short and tall, 
we say that tall is good, short is bad. And if you really want to insult my five-year-old son, tell him that he's short. I don't have to tell him, he just knows. He feels like this is a bad thing, I want to be tall. And we look at how it, it, it's, it's not just children that do this. We look at most CEOs in companies, most executives, and they're an average of two and a half inches taller than most people. Think back to King Saul. Israel wants a king. What do they choose? The smartest, brightest person? They choose the one that's taller and better looking because people will respect them for that because our minds are simple and we just make these choices and these biases. And I'll show you how it works. I'm going to say a few things. You don't have to give me an emotional response to this or a choice. You don't have to state your preference. But as I say this, just what's going on in internally with you. So wealthy, poor, Democrat, Republican, gay, straight, true, false, fake, real. Probably didn't have to try. You probably went right to your preference, right? And the stating of preference is the basis of all bias and judgment, and we all do it quite naturally. And our brains love to do this, and it does it in this infantile way. You probably didn't even have to try to think what your preference was in those things. So, again, why would we go down to Disney World and endure all those things just to experience something that isn't real? If real is good and fake is bad, then what is it? What is it about that experience that is, it draws so many people and we do it not just with things like Disney World. Most of us check out every day, sit here on our phones, watch movies, binge watch. We have a culture that grabs our attention and pulls us out of our reality. And we're quite okay with that. Well, there's something about story and art and poetry and myth that is so appealing to us that takes us out of this categorical thinking and into these deeper places of understanding. And in Jesus' day and in Jesus' culture, he came from a place that really valued story. And you hear it in the way he teaches. He tells stories. It captures people's imaginations. So if I was from, let's say, Galilee, and I'm a poor villager living in Galilee, and I um, am robbed of my last $5. And I go and I find another poor villager, and I tell them, I was just robbed of my last $5. Well, they would understand what that means. They're poor. They know what that feels like. But in Jesus' culture and in Jesus' day and even today in, in this part of the world, they understand that facts can be altered in order to tell a deeper truth. So if I was robbed of my last $5 and I'm poor and I go to a wealthy man in the village and I tell them I was robbed of my last $5, well, that doesn't mean anything to them. $5 is nothing. So I can alter the facts in order to convey the right emotion. 
So I might say, I was robbed of 5000 or $50,000. And that would mean something to the wealthy man. So the facts are altered in order to convey the right emotion. And Jesus does this all the time in his stories. He's telling people some greater truth, some deeper truth, to convey the emotion and not just the facts. So we've been going through the book of John. As a church, the children have been reading it alongside in their classes. We've been doing it in here. And we see that Jesus has entered into our story. Gary opened last week by saying, Jesus was God manifested among us, but most people didn't see who he was, didn't see him for who he was that Jesus was mostly misunderstood. And the interesting thing about John is he doesn't just tell the facts. In fact, to the other synoptic gospels, there are no parables in the book of John. Jesus isn't telling stories. What he's doing is he's entering into people's stories. So you see all of these encounters with people. And last week we picked up where Jesus sees a man that was born blind from birth. And he goes to the man, and his disciples ask, who sinned that this person would be born blind? Was it him or was it his parents? Because our logical minds just want to categorize things, and therefore this person must have sinned, or his parents must have sinned, and he's blind. And Jesus said, neither. This man was born blind so that God's glory could be shown through him. See, God stepped through our limited understanding of what's real, what's true. And he stepped into this deeper place. And those who watched as God performed a miracle and gave this man sight, this man who was blind from birth, some rejoiced, some celebrated, others questioned it, others dug in deeper. This doesn't fit our reality. So we have this, this physical world, this reality, the cosmos, the laws of nature, the things that we know and trust to be true. But there's also this inner world. It's our subconscious, our shadow self, and the things that we try to, uh, all through our ego, try to understand the things that are going on around us. That's translated through our ego that don't so neatly fit into these categories, true, false, right, wrong. And Jesus is offering a new proposition here. It can be not just true or false, right or wrong, but this man could have been born blind from birth, and God can be glorified in him. It doesn't have to be because of sin. I can redeem this. So Jesus is coming to people and stepping into their reality day after day after day, and he's telling them there's something better than just this limited understanding of your reality. And he does the same thing with us. See, in, in Greek, the word myth, we get, um, uh, in Greek, it's mythos. We understand the word to mean something that makes you moan or groan. So it's not just 
a story being told. It's something that's touching you deeply, making you moan or groan in your emotions. And we see that a story is only true in that culture if it causes you to moan or groan, if it gets beneath our logic and into the places of our heart and in our soul. And Jesus knows that. John opens his book almost as if it's a riddle wrapped inside this mystery. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See that both and with God, was God. And he stepped through our reality. John is writing a new beginning here, an eternal beginning that steps out of our understanding of time and space and all the realities that we believe to be true. And Jesus is sweeping through all of time and he's coming to us and he's saying, there's something more. I'm going to touch those places in you that desire, that want. And he's inviting us to come and experience life the way he designed it before the fall and to participate in some bigger story. See, there's something more real than those tangible things. And when God starts to tamper with those things that don't make sense to us, the things that don't neatly fit into our categories, then we're forced to do something with it. And we can just look at it as words on a page. You know, we often hear around here at Grace that the gospel is not a way of belief, a way of thinking, a way of choosing, but it's a way of life. And it's life that Jesus offers us through entering into our story. Um, Kirk Thompson would point out that the healing where the, uh, of the man that was born blind, when the disciples ask him who sinned, this is the way we think as humans. We looked at this man as a problem waiting to be solved. But God says, no, my glory will be revealed through him. God sees this man as an act of beauty waiting to be created. And he tampers with all of our understanding of how the world around us should be and even God should be. And he says, there's something more. I'm going to step through all of space and time and your understanding of what is true and false, fake and real. And I'm going to invite you into this greater story, this story of creation of eternity. And you're going to take part in it. If you hear my call. And if we're, we don't allow the story of God to groan or moan within us, then it's just a story. It's not our story. So all of our suppositions, all of the things we think to be true, God says, come, 
I invite you into the story. I break down all the barriers of religion, of tradition. Gary called these filters last week. We remember this? The filters that we believe are cultural filters and our religious tradition filters and our family of origin filters. Family doesn't do that. We don't, we don't do that. I wasn't raised that way. You know, all these things we say that we navigate life to make sense of things, those filters, God breaks those down. And he says there's something more. And he invites people to the table, sinners, keepers of the law, prostitutes, Romans, tax collectors, everyone, everyone's invited. And so we come to the table this morning. I'm going to go ahead and invite the servers up this morning. With an invitation to all of you. We set these first Sundays aside to do the Lord's table together. And as you sit, before you come and take the table, just ask God, to reveal those things in you, those longings, those things within you that make you moan and groan and want and ask him to fill those places. And I'm gonna pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, that you offer us freedom through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And this morning we come and we remember that you chose to lay down your life for us. Your body broken. Your blood poured out for us. Because you so love the world. And Father, as we come to the table, I pray that in it we would be changed by you. We don't want to walk away unchanged. Break our spirit within us and lead us in the way everlasting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The table here is for everyone. We're going to start a little music, please. And as they prepare it, just take some time to prepare your hearts. And as you come, if you'll just come up these two center aisles and just go to whoever's available, they'll serve you. And then you're welcome to just go back to your seats. You can find a place in the room. You can do communion with one another, with your families. God calls us to the table to commune with him and with one another. We are the church. So come when you're ready.